I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Sound Logic Podcast. Today, we are discussing album number 26 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. This album is Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. We're really excited to have uh, my friend Sophia Mayer here with us today. Uh, Sophia is uh, currently a Penn State student here uh, where I work and just an incredible human being who really ends up being in a lot of wonderful places advocating for justice for all, um, standing up for those who feel marginalized or oppressed. And um, at a big school like this, there tends to be some oppression going on. <laughs> and uh, and I, it's, it's wonderful that our paths crossed and um, I feel very fortunate to know Sophia. And, and so several weeks ago, I said, hey, here's a list of the upcoming albums. Any of those stand out? And she was kind enough to say, yeah, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. So um, the circle has, has come to uh, a close now. And here she is as our special guest tonight as we tackle this iconic album. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited for this. And thanks for that intro. <laughs> you bet. I was um, thinking the other day, a lot of our special guests we have pulled in specifically because they were born around the time an album comes out. Um, this is an interesting one because neither Mike nor I were born uh, at the time of this album coming out. And you're actually younger than us, Sophia. So we are doing no one a service by having uh, <laughs> none of us are going to be experts here. But I think all three of us uh, do share an appreciation and a love for this album. And so I think the conversation is going to be fantastic, even though none of us were there when it actually came out. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic point. And it kind of, I think, says something about the album that all three of right. us are so interested in it right. when it's not something that we grew up with. Absolutely. And we've talked a couple of times on this podcast about um, stuff that's so iconic, it just becomes sort of the fabric of uh, society, American culture. Um, I think this is probably true for this album. They were trying to craft something that was going to be iconic, but it was going to be their um, multi-million uh, album record-breaking kind of success, and uh, and it, it happens. I know that doesn't always happen when people try, um, but it, it also has just sort of woven itself into the zeitgeist, I guess, and it's just a thing that's present in our lives now, whether we are aware of it or not, it's just there. Hmm. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to that more, but um, yeah. So, so all three of us uh, not around when this album came out. The first question that we ask, though, when we uh, start each episode is, um, have we listened to it in its entirety? Uh, <laughs> I think the answer is yes for all three, but I want to hear more. Uh, Mike, do you want to kick things off? Um, what's this album meant for you? Or ha has it been something that you have picked up? I've heard this album before, uh, but really only once start to finish. But that was special because... A number of years ago, um, my wife and kids were camping and I was going to meet them on a Friday night and I was driving up with my sister, who I'm very close with, and we were listening to music and she said, have you heard 
rumors. And I said, no, I haven't listened to it. I really want to. So we put it on. And the first time I heard it was uh, just my sister and I alone on a two hour oh, car fun. ride. And just, and we're both, um, people don't always believe me when I say this, but we can both be quieter people. Um, so, <laughs> so we just, we were just quietly listening and chatting a little bit. So that, that's a really special memory um, that I kind of got to share that with my sister. Oh. But I didn't, that was probably, let's say, five years ago, but I hadn't listened to it until we started doing this project. Mm. And earlier this year, as uh, if you listen to this podcast before, you know that I bought a record player and I'm getting into starting a, a record collection. And this album was the very first one that I bought. Wow. Uh, I was in the record store and trying to not spend all my money at once <laughs> <laughs> so i had a handful of absolutely iconic albums and i looked at it and i thought you know i need to be res financially responsible here <laughs> and even though i had like uh, in my hand i had uh, i think i had uh zeppelin one and dark side of the moon and all these amazing iconic albums mm. I decided because I was least familiar with it to get rumors and because I knew it was one coming up here on our list. Wow. And so that's the first, that's the first album I got. It is, and it is a, a vintage recording. So it's, it's pretty cool. And it's in good shape too. Um, there's a big kind of mark. There's a scratch on the back and it goes right through the last track. So the guy at the record store said, well, why don't I put it on for you so you can hear it? So he put it on and uh, he has a wireless setup in his record store so it's blasting through the whole store uh, on these speakers um, on his you know wireless turntable which was super cool and i said okay tell me when it gets to the scratch and he goes oh it's going right through it right now and it sounded amazing so as long as you can't feel the scratch with your finger if it's just a super superficial mark uh, the, the needle doesn't pick it up so anyways that uh, Sophia, you'll learn that I really, really start talking a lot when I talk about <laughs> records. Yeah, I, do. I appreciate that. <laughs> I bet you're um, about to tell uh, us that uh, the scratch goes through the last track, so you've never actually listened to that <laughs> part of the album before. <laughs> yeah. uh, Gold Dust Woman is on this album. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So that. So those are those are two kind of special memories. So I hadn't listened to it much, but even though I hadn't listened to it start to finish. I still felt like I was familiar with all of it. Yeah. Uh, so that's me. What about you, Sophia? Sure. I came to the album late. I remember listening it, listening to it, and thinking many of the songs were familiar. Of course, this, as you said, then forms the background of so much of the ambience of our life. But listening to it straight through was an almost magical experience. Mm. I remember mm. being very impressed. And very surprised at how much I enjoyed this music, especially its opening few tracks. And I remember taking it down to show my mom. And there's very few albums that my mom and I and my dad can all enjoy at once. Usually, as much as I try, I can't find some common ground with my mom, <laughs> not just with genre, but with specific tastes in music. Mm. But this, I think shows what a special album it is by the mm -hmm. fact that 
it was one of my mom's favorite albums, one of my dad's favorite albums, and I, who's of course much younger, one of mm-hmm. my favorite albums too. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a diverse, powerful album, mm. and I was blown away. I love that. Um, I actually just recently, I guess on our last episode, was talking about or maybe it was two episodes ago. So a way I'm judging whether music is relevant or not is the way that my family responds to it when sure. I put it on. And as some of these classic albums, there's very quick response, like, turn that off. What are you listening to? Mm. <laughs> but not with this one. Uh, <laughs> this album, like even our three-year-old was kind of like bopping along to it. We were listening to it at dinner the one night and he was like, uh, nodding his head so much that we're like, okay, we got to turn it off or he's not going to eat his mashed potatoes or whatever. <laughs> um, it was really interesting. And I, I like that about it. Um, it does seem to have this timeless uh, cross-generation sure. quality to it. That's, that's really magical. Um, <clears throat> if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you know that Mike and I have spent a decent amount of time talking about whether or not um, uh, greatest hits albums are, uh, a good thing. Mm. <laughs> and uh, we've got a mutual friend named Dustin, who uh, was a special guest all the way back when we did one London Calling by The Clash. Dustin really wanted me to get this Fleetwood Mac album in particular. But I remember we were in a UCD store flipping through and the greatest hits was cheaper than rumors. And I was like, I'm not going to get rumors if I can get the greatest hits album for less mm. money. So I got that instead. And I think I fell in love with Fleetwood Mac through that greatest hits album. And it was only later that I was like, I got to give rumors uh, a listen and was, was impressed by the, the reality is I think I like it more than the greatest hits. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that says something about the way an album is constructed when it stands above uh, the best songs in a, an artist's career. Um, a lot of these songs are on the greatest hits album. And so maybe that's why I, I felt so familiar with it um, through my first listen. Um, but it is really a great uh, album that I go through seasons where it seems to come up um, on my Spotify listening more frequently than others. So I'll go several months without listening to it and then just get on a kick where I, I feel like I put it on a couple of times a week. Um, yeah, it's, it's continued to stay with me uh, since I heard it the first time. I want to ask an open question yeah. to both of you, and, and I can answer as well. Oftentimes we ask, especially when we hadn't heard it before, did you have any pre preconceived notions what you expect it to sound like? This is a little different because most, or I think all three of us have been listening to this for a long time, and it's harder to answer this question when yeah. you just don't remember a time that it didn't exist. But but if you can transport yourself to the time before you listen to this, mm-hmm. what did you expect it would be like? Sophia, any thoughts? Oh, Sure. I think that my first time listening to the album itself, I expect it to be a little bit dusty, the kind of thing that your parents would like. Something that yeah. you can sort of yeah. jam to, but you recognize it's a little bit dated. And I think the fact that so much of Fleetwood Mac is, again, the ambience of the world, <laughs> not something you really listen to, something that's in the background, I figured it to be kind of an eloquent elevator music. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. pleasantly surprised when I actually turned my attention to it. It was definitely worth the effort yeah 
I think I felt the same way. I don't know what it says about me that maybe I actually like adult contemporary. Mm. (laughs) Uh, This is not uh, classic rock in the same way that a lot of the albums are on this Rolling Stone greatest albums list. Um, It is certainly more poppy, but I think there is more substance Mm. to it than, than sort of adult contemporary music, at least the, whatever that term means in my head. Um, I think my cheesy, yeah, cheesy. Maybe (laughs) that's true. Uh, It does get cheesy at times, but I kind of like the cheese on this, uh, on this record. Uh, It's good cheese. cheese. Um, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the first song I, I have a memory of is Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. And I think my assumption probably was that this album was going to be kind of like that, like, uh, a little moody, lots and lots of harmonizing, um, nice sweeping chorus line. Uh, and a lot of that is true, but um, but it's so much more than that, I think, too. Well, yeah, you're not far off. And I think they were living under the shadow of that massive hit because that was from the album that came the year before yeah. or a year or two before. So that kind of really rock rocketed them into popularity because that was a huge hit and they were trying to kind of replicate that but be different and i think they did a great job yeah. i felt i feel the same way as you ben kind of a generic 70s rock i feel like we said the same thing before we listened to bruce springsteen's born to run oh yeah that we just thought it, we we've kind of judged these classic 70s bands and albums as all kind of sounding the same and given the opportunity to listen to them we see that they're full of solid gold yeah kind of makes me wonder what else is out there (laughs) (laughs) that's i guess that's why we're doing this thing (laughs) yeah good point uh so yeah that's my uh that was kind of my take on it before as well um i want to share one more memory that you've kind of brought to the front of my brain ben in talking about your family and this is a memory that that i've created just today <laughs> but it's very so long ago it's it's still it's still a memory even though it just happened um after supper tonight i had a little time to kill and i wanted to make some notes and i wanted to listen to this album one more time and so i put the disc on and i said to my son who's nine i'm gonna go down to the basement i'm gonna listen to this album make some notes you want to just come down and hang out you can play on your phone or read a book or whatever he said sure so i was listening and typing and we had it we had it on the stereo cranked pretty pretty high and almost every song when it started he goes oh this song this is on this album (laughs) and he would start singing along and he did it about five or six times i said you you know this music he said yeah dad these songs are really good (laughs) and he was uh my wife came down about halfway through and notice the same thing like you really digging this music it is yeah i really like it you know so again uh-huh. and we'll get to this later but that's the test of the timelessness yeah, right. when you have someone who's 40 years removed from it who just walks into it now i guess there's the you know when someone you admire likes something you want to like that thing too so yeah. can, you know and when we grow up um not all the time but when we're close with our parents you know, we like the things that they like a lot of times, unless the things that they like really suck, (laughs) because that happens sometimes too. But um, yeah, so that's another really special memory. And as we've discussed, there's something so special about spending time with 
people you're close with listening to music. And with all the devices we have where we, you know, you can sit in a room with five other people and everybody's plugged in to their own thing. It's pretty nice to be able to sit down and share one thing, uh, which used to be very common, but now is less common. So uh, it's very special and, and I like those uh, moments and memories and this working on this project this podcast has provided that opportunity for me and i know for you as well yeah. so um that's kind of kind of special mm-hmm. amen oh thank you Joe Biden <laughs> gave a shout out to records just recently in one of the debates oh really yeah he said you know when you put on your record player for your kids when they're asleep <laughs> <laughs> oh man he's so in, very hip he's so in touch with that's right the youth of today coming back <laughs> He probably remembers when uh, LPs came out first. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when they switched when they switched from uh, seventy eight to thirty three and a third right. speed. Okay, well let's we'll keep moving on here. Uh, do you guys have any other um, memories about the album in general before we move on to some details? One of my favorite <laughs> references to this album comes in another piece of pop culture. And that's in an episode of the uh, Flight of the Concords. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're talking about a relationship that they have uh, where they're both chasing after the same girl. And their manager tells them, uh, you got to end it. Jermaine, you should think about that. I've, I've told you, you know, when you're in a band, you don't get with your bandmate's girlfriend, past or present. Useful thanks for that. You get a love triangle, you know, Fleetwood Mac situation. Although there was four of them, so more of a love square. But, you know, no one gets on. Okay, I see. Mind you, they did make some of their best music back then. Rumours? No. That's all true. (laughs) That's a good one. Okay, let's do some details. 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 Uh, This album was released February 4th, 1977, and was their 11th studio album as a band. Although Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined, I think, earlier in the 70s. Uh, it had been just the other three and someone else before then. So almost all of them have writing credits throughout the album. They, they worked on the tracks individually, on the lyrics, and kind of then came together at the end. So that's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. I'm not going to list who wrote. You can kind of tell because usually, especially for the ones that the vocalists write, usually they sing lead on the ones mm-hmm. they wrote so you can kind of tell um who wrote it they all sing on all the tracks you know all three of the main leads so excluding excluding john mcvee and uh mick fleetwood the other three of them sing on all the tracks pretty much um this went number one in the u.s the uk australia canada and new zealand uh, was a massive hit everywhere around the world, and since then has sold over 40 million copies worldwide. And that is a huge success. I heard somewhere today uh, the eighth highest album okay. in sales. Uh, and, you know, off the top of my head, the only ones I can think of are like, you know, mm-hmm. probably Thriller. I think the Sound of Music soundtrack is way up there, uh, which is not on this. Rolling Stones, <laughs> obviously. Right. Pick it up when we're all done. Um, uh, and a lot of awards for this album. Uh, Grammy Award for Album of the Year in 78. Um, Mick Fleetwood said it was the most important album they ever made because its success allowed the group to continue 
for years and years. And you can imagine, you know, even if you release an album, and I'm not saying this happened, but if you release an album and it's not great, people are still going to go see you live yeah. <laughs> because because they like the previous stuff, right? Right. right. Um, so they just had a ton of money to make this. They are already relatively successful. Um but they felt like their recordings were best when they were at their worst. And so there's a quote that they would come into the studio, have a massive feast with everyone involved. Um, Then they'd start to get into the drugs because they were recording in an area that was kind of uh, known as sort of a hippie paradise. And so there was lots of readily available stuff, especially when you had money. Um, So they'd get like really full on food, um, get completely whacked out, uh, especially using cocaine. And then um, when they were all just sort of like tripping over themselves, they'd, uh, you know, around one or two in the morning, then they'd start to record. Hmm. Um, it's, a, it's an amazingly <laughs> polished album, considering that that's their, like, <laughs> what they thought would work. Uh. Um, maybe says something about the time uh, that we're talking about here in the late 70s. Um hmm. But yeah, so they're really living into like a world of excess. Um, and simultaneously, they are uh, having relationships fall apart and finding new relationships. And certain times, certain members are not speaking to each other and or, or only speaking to each other so that they can finish uh, a, a track or a song. Hmm. Um, it reminds me, I guess, a little bit of the White Album, you know, that, that moment in time in the Beatles career when... Uh, they were also so big and also not getting along, but for the good of the for the good of the project, essentially, they were sort of like living with each other uh, to make their art. Sure. And I think I think that's the same for rumors here. It's an extraordinary story, I think, because the album itself sounds so sober. Yeah, it's, right. And all, not only <laughs> yeah, sober, yes. but coordinated and moderate. Yeah. It's they seem to be coordinating so well together to yeah. make this beautifully balanced sound, exquisitely subtle vocalizations yeah. and rhythms. Yeah, I find that contrast fascinating. It's also not the kind of stereotypical album that you would associate with drugs, right? Unlike the Beatles, yeah, it doesn't sound psychedelic or, uh, you know, the rhythms are not like, you know, it doesn't sound like math rock or something where it's just all wacky and and things like that. Um, And actually, I think the thing that made this point so striking for me this week specifically was that I was listening to the deluxe edition, which has a whole bunch of live performances from the same era Hmm. of these songs. And they don't sound very good. Like Hmm. performing live, uh, I know is always a challenge. And I'm sure in that era, recording live in the late seventies was a different thing than today, but the vocals are not as tight. The instrumentation doesn't sound as good. And because there are so many layers on these tracks, the the songs all sound a little hollow, like they're not fully filled in. Mm. Um, so they're... Maybe they need more feasts. Maybe they need more <laughs> feasts, yeah. Maybe they did not eat a big enough meal before getting on stage. But um, yeah, you can tell that there's something really magical that took place in the studio because they weren't at least in the in the recordings I heard, they weren't able to replicate that sound ever again mm. live, um, which is really fascinating. So let's talk about the album cover because this is one oh, of boy. these iconic <laughs> album covers. Um, <laughs> you know, and I usually try and describe it, so uh, I'll give it a shot. 
I like the letter. <laughs> I like I like I like the lettering. So in the <laughs> that's in the, the thing that immediately jumps out. Oh yeah, I, I'm just gonna start. Well, I'm gonna start with that because it's. I don't know. That's very 70s to me. We should point out, Mike, before yes. we get too far, the spelling of rumors. Okay, sure. Do you want to talk about that now? <laughs> well, it's significant because this is a binational podcast. Right. <laughs> rumors makes perfect sense for Canadians, not so much for Americans. Uh, I think every time I tried to type it into my Google Doc this week, it underlined it as an incorrect spelling. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I feel some tension there with Fleetwood Mac rumors, and interesting that they chose to spell it that way as an American band. Well, well, but only Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks are American; the other three are British. Oh, which would have the that. which would have the correct spelling of rumors? Do you think in, they arm wrestled in to in, in, in England? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's it's three it's three versus two, so maybe that's how they decided. <laughs> but they recorded it in. in? The, Is that what they said? They recorded it. <laughs> are you in? <laughs> Very good. You're so clever. Well, it's interesting um, with the script too. You can barely see the U. Oh, look how subtle that is. I love I that. Wonder if there's a little bit of a compromise. <laughs> and then we have Mick Fleetwood, the drummer, in a a black vest over his white collared shirt. Uh, one foot up on a on a stool, and Stevie mm-hmm. Nicks is is dressed um, in a black uh-huh. uh, out, outfit with. Uh... Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm getting there. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> She's dancing with her leg over his knee. Uh, he has a long uh, ponytail. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I missed, but my son. Uh, was delighted to point out that Mick Fleetwood has two round balls hanging below his uh, crotch. I should be clear; those aren't not his balls, not, not his genitalia, yeah, not, not like his his person <laughs> part of his anatomy, but two spheres on strings uh, that are hanging there. And I had never even noticed that. I had the album in my hand, like the record, the record. I brought it home, and he and my son goes. Hey dad, are those balls hanging below that guy? And I was like, <laughs> no. What are you talking? And I looked, I was like, uh, why, well, yes, they are. <laughs> there are two. I have never noticed that before. So the story that I read, and feel free to come in with something else here, is that those are his good luck charms that he oh. hangs on his drum kit that he found years earlier in a pub in one of the old chain flush toilets. They were hanging off the the chain of this toilet in a pub and he took them, which is not, <laughs> I would not take something that is <laughs> uh, ever. I mean, no amount of cleaning is going to make that. Okay. Um, <laughs> they're his good luck charm. So I guess for this photo shoot, uh, he has them there now. I, I don't know any stories about why they appear in this photo shoot, but that's his good luck charm. So it's not the only Fleetwood Mac cover with, uh, suspended ball. Oh, their self-titled album has a singular ball kind of floating in the mm-hmm. air. Um, I'm oh, I'm not sure why this was a thing. Like their their motifs seem to like be fairly consistent. Mm-hmm. 
in sort of like almost acrobatic kinds of positions. Uh, they're sort of fun and whimsical, but also very classic looking, mm-hmm. almost Victorian looking or something like that. Um, I think that says something about the album itself. Maybe. Just the mix between the ridiculous humor with the <laughs> stoic picture almost yeah. taking itself too seriously but the subtleness yet high contrast it's a delightfully paradoxical album cover it and it's a delightfully paradoxical album oh man mike a google search also shows you'll appreciate this as a star wars fan oh my a, goodness uh, a, a mock cover yes uh, that says rebel fleet rumors um, <laughs> with uh princess leia and um han solo with the same suspended balls well and that that is a very han solo-esque uh get up that he has there uh, <laughs> right. and, and and in that drawing i believe he's holding a tiny death star in his hand oh. um, <laughs> uh yeah that's a good one um i've also researched that uh, Stevie Nicks is dressed as uh, her persona of Rhiannon, which was their hit. Oh, yeah. From and that um, it's a this Welsh uh, witch that she mm. that is described in the song that she would dress up as during their shows after that or during mm. the shows for that album, which came before this album. So, I read a uh, conservative Christian blogger um, talking about how evil this band is because of the lyrics of their albums and also the fact that she's a witch kept, he kept coming back to that. Um, yeah. So certain, that would do it. <laughs> we all grew up in all three of us grew up in fairly conservative Christianity. It's interesting that this was still an album that was permissible in our homes with uh, <laughs> a witch on the cover and some dangling balls. But sure. uh, I mean, that's not the first thing I think of when I see her though. No. And I don't think of that when I listen to their songs either. You know, that's the most dangerous kind of evil that you, yes. don't, that you don't pick up on right away. <laughs> that's true. Very good subliminal messages. Right. Yeah. But they're right, like they're right there. <laughs> How did I not see them? No, yes. I don't know if this is significant or not, but the the base color behind the album is like an, an off-white, almost a, a cream yeah. color. And... Why do we make? Why do we ever make things this color? It's like everything that's that color looks looks old and faded. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe you do that so that if it's white, it'll look old and faded later. But if you just do that now, then you avoid that. Maybe that's the classic motif that they're going for. Mm-hmm. Sophia said it's very monochromatic, mm-hmm. extremely iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I feel like. All we really want to talk about here is balls, but uh, I guess there's other things happening. Freud Um, would disagree. (laughs) This is one of the album covers that I think many people would recognize. I recognized it even before I knew the music. Mm. Um, It's one that I'd seen my aunt and uncle who are probably a lot more the age. They would have been right, you know, right in their prime listening, you know, late teens, um, I remember seeing this, you know, a CD or a tape when I was little and I didn't know what it was, but I do remember the image. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, very iconic. Uh, okay. Track listing. Can we do it in funny voices? 
<laughs> That'd be oh. a first. Yeah. Well, it's your suggestion. You have to start. Secondhand news. Oh, uh, we could do it like, um, uh, who's the announcer for SNL? <laughs> Dreams. <laughs> Never going back again. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Don't stop. Go your own way. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Songbird. <laughs> Ben, silly I'm, voice. I'm not feeling the silly voice. Oh, and you haven't about, done one yet. Uh, how about the change? Oh. <laughs> I like, I like that. Yeah, that was good. Uh, that was good. Yeah. I'm proud of you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you make loving fun. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to know. Who wants the next one? <laughs> May I have the honor? Go, go ahead. Are you, you, you can. Are we going to be okay? <laughs> I'm really nope, curious go to see for what it. Mike does with this edit. <laughs> oh, daddy. <laughs> Good one. Yep. Good one. You know you make me And finally, Gold Dust Woman. Woo! All right. Sophia, usually I just read them all in a very monotone voice. <laughs> um, I like to think I did my part. That's true. Oh, it's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> so the the energy of that first track just draws me right in to this album. The dun 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 dun. dun, dun. It's quite a, like a cowboy riding across the. Sure. <laughs> right. And uh, and I don't know. There's something just really, really like if you were taking a course on how to build a pop song, I think that this is probably be like uh, Exhibit A. Um, it's a good tempo. It's got a like fairly repeatable um, hook in it. Um, and actually, the the bam cha bam cha bam or whatever it is, <laughs> you don't even have to know the words to kind of uh, hum along to that part there. Um, I am convinced that uh, there's a praise song somewhere that I can't quite place that borrows that that refrain, the sort of scatting in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest that I've come to it, Dustin thought maybe I was thinking of. Uh, I don't actually know the, the name of the track, but uh, D- Days of Elijah. Days of Elijah. Right? There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. That that kind of follows that same. <laughs> dun, 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 Great dun, job. Dun. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, I the, aside from that sort of cheesy scatting part in the middle there, which actually I think kind of works. I really I really like that song, sure. and uh, I don't know it. You can tell it's also super produced. There's a lot, a yeah. lot of yes. layers <laughs> right. to it, but um, but it is it is really fun. 
It's delightfully warm. It's it upbeat. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It draws you in right energy. away. It does. It does. It's sort of that album. I think that one song that lets you think, hey, the cover is misleading. This is something that feels relevant. <laughs> right, right. Despite the yellow eggshells. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's true. And I think it actually has a fairly similar um, sound to a lot of the rest of the album, too. Um, with a couple of exceptions, they're faster songs. All kind of resonate with this first opening track, I think. There's a lot of fun stuff on here. The one that I don't really love is Songbird. Song, song. I, and I, I originally thought it sounds out of place, but now that I see those tracks on uh, two sides of a record, mm-hmm. it's a slow song to close out side one. And maybe that's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to walk over and flip the album over. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, how you all feel about the, this track list, but uh, those are the two things that immediately jumped to my mind. Well, it does sound a little bit different. It does sound yeah. a little bit out of place. But in its defense, okay. I do think that the album itself tends to capitalize on that seeming out of placeness. They put uh, high contrast mm-hmm. in all their songs. The difference, for yes. example, between secondhand news and dreams, and then right after dreams, which is a, a sort of a sobering, eerie, but somehow hopeful song. Yeah. You have Never Going Back Again, which <laughs> which makes it far more lighthearted in a, in a mm-hmm. different way. All of these songs. There is a, a pendulum swing there, isn't there? That's yeah. Right. The only thing I can think of in comparison, and it might seem like a ridiculous comparison, but <laughs> I think of Beyonce's Lemonade, oh. defying genre with each and every song in yeah. a way that still feels cohesive. Yeah. It was a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions, where there's kind of a bounce back and forth there too, right? Is that is that the one I'm thinking of, Mike? Absolutely. He he does the same thing. And Sophia, as you were speaking, I was thinking about Intervisions because CB Wonder did the same thing where he did a great blend of kind of fast pace, slow pace, different lyrics, different themes going back and forth, a really good balance. Mm-hmm. Some stuff that's really poppy and fun and some stuff that really makes you think. Uh, I think this song or this album is full of that too. Sure. Uh, I think you can think about this high contrast just with trying to figure out what sort of genre we can associate with the album first <laughs> That's it true. feels very yeah. easy but is this pop is this rock is yeah. this bluegrass is this country is this mm-hmm. jazz is this blues i feel elements of all of those styles in different songs yes. here yeah. and it doesn't feel the contrast is subtle it doesn't make you feel like these are entirely different uh, isolated songs. It's not a best of album. It feels cohesive, yeah. but I think they weave together these genres in a very powerful way. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, just elevated this album to another level in my mind, right there. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a few albums that we've listened to and in existence that I really think. I know this is kind of a concluding uh, statement, but it's not meant to be. That are really masterpieces, and I think this is one of them. Mm-hmm. They just, there's so many things here. It's well produced. There's so many different sounds and different influences from genres. You're, you're bang on, Sophia. It's, there's so many different things happening, 
but they don't sound out of place. Mm. It's not okay. Mm. Well, there's the obligatory blues solo, or there's mm. the there's the saxophone solo with a little bit of reverb, right. which is super cheesy. No, it's it's all very fitting, um, and I think they did a great job at blending those different influences. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head too with talking about the lack of solo work here. You feel everything is mm-hmm. cohesive. And no one appears to be trying to take the limelight in any of these songs. Except for Songbird. Except, well, maybe for for Song. I guess we're going to trash Songbird. But it does feel like it's something that's cohesive, something that's powerful. It does feel like there is a distinct lack of ego, which maybe is just my naivete Mm. in coming at this album. But it feels very much like a jazz performance in that balance. Yeah. And I think that's reflected in the masterwork of the editing that came from these yeah. songs afterwards. The superb balance, beautiful composition. Uh, just as um, it's hard to imagine that they're all high on cocaine while making this, yes. <laughs> it's so also true. hard to imagine how cohesive it is based on their hatred of each other too, mm-hmm. right? Like as the band's becoming more dysfunctional, they're stepping aside in a very jazz like way and allowing each other to shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, like who does that? If you hate someone, <laughs> why would you, you know, why would you say, Oh, I think you'd be great for this part right here. Sure. Uh, uh, let's let you have it like that. That's so interesting that yeah. the art came far before the, um, the drama. A lot of unanswered questions. A lot with of unanswered this questions. Drama <laughs> of its creation. There's a great, uh, um, meme out there floating around the interwebs of uh uh someone listening uh, the images of uh people fighting in the background and someone with their headphones on with a blissful look and the Mm -hmm. caption is uh me listening to fleetwood mac and fleetwood mac recording the album (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah that's good i like that Uh, well i have some general comments about the tracks and some specific comments about individual tracks Mm -hmm. so in general the harmonies are absolutely insane just Mm -hmm. such a great blend and sometimes it's just a three-part sometimes it feels like there's a lot more parts and layers and different octaves because um lindsey buckingham has a very high register a very high range and a lot of times i struggle to determine whether it's him singing or one of the women singing because he sings so high so that you can kind of do that and you can have him sing high and then also sing a lower harmony with the women singing the 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 middle harmonies uh so it's just a great blend a really really warm feeling and one of the things that i find that uh vinyl is really good in capturing is all the nuances of vocal performances because oh. you hear everything in between um so this is a great album to listen to on vinyl because you Mm. hear these beautiful harmonies so that's one thing um the word that keeps coming to mind as i'm listening to these songs is familiar all the songs and the sounds and the lyrics and the Mm -hmm. the different parts and the choruses are so familiar because as we've talked to this is one of these soundtrack of life albums these songs Mm. are just everywhere uh you, you probably have a memory you know because they're just so familiar right um as we've discussed everything about this album is very well produced i wouldn't say overproduced but very well produced and heavily produced and well mixed i noticed the mixing is good very good balance some things are quieter um one thing i notice is the rhythm guitars 
in a lot of the tracks are very precise. You can hear the strumming and it's very, it's not just, you know, somebody banging out some chords. It's very precise strumming patterns, uh, but they just kind of float in behind everything and it's really well done. The song Dreams uh, has always been one of my favorite Fleetwood Mac songs. Yeah. When I first heard it on the radio years ago, uh, just that, oh, it's it's quiet but uh, intentional. The the drive and the groove is very intentional, and it it really just plows along. Like it just <laughs> it just moves, even though it's not a loud in your face song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the lyrics too, a really uh, really neat lyrics. So that's my favorite, and one that I feel like I didn't discover till more recently is the chain, and this is. Oh, yeah. One hell of a composition. <laughs> it's just and and it starts it starts quiet, then it gets louder, then it that everything drops out, and then they come back in, and then it gets big again, and then they drop out again, <laughs> and then come in with just the bass, and then it builds up to full like crazy guitar solos and everybody singing together again, and then it fades out. It's like a roller coaster. It's just that that's the only one that um, they're all credited as writers. Well, it sounds like a group effort um, because there's a lot of things happening. And uh, I have um, younger kids who are of the age that we love to watch all the Marvel movies. And this song was featured in the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh, really? um, Because the soundtrack is always the music that... Uh, Star-Lord grew up with, Peter Quill. So it's the first one, it's the tape that his mom gave to him uh, that he carries around with him. And on the second movie, it's uh, the second tape that she gave to him, you know, as she was dying, but he's kind of held held on to it and he doesn't open it up till the end of the first movie. So in the second movie, we hear hear all that music. Um, So it's always the hits of like the 70s and the early 80s. And I heard that the writer and director of the movie picked the songs first and then wrote the plot around the feel or some of the scenes around the feel of the songs. Mm. So I don't know if that's totally true, Mm. but um, they use the chain um, on a few. There's kind of one of the, the big battle scene at the end. They blend the chain into the soundtrack of the movie Mm. and it, it fits so well because it is a very kind of cinematic sound. Yeah. They used the chain in the first, the big trailer before the movie came out. They used the chain. Um, Baby Groot kind of plugs two ends of a cable together and the bass line comes in, <laughs> uh, which isn't in the movie, but it's in the trailer and it's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, you can check that out. Um, but but it's, it's an awesome song. Absolutely. And then finally... <clears throat> Um, last thing, and then I'll stop talking and give everyone else a chance for a while. Um, earlier this evening, I was preparing. My wife said, um, you should listen to an episode of a podcast that I like called Sound Exploder, where they get artists to break down a song, yeah. and they go and they play different tracks. Like, they single out, you know, the vocal track and the guitar track, talk about how it was made. So there's an episode where Lindsey Buckingham talks about how Go Your Own Way was made, and a lot of the inspiration so this the song is about um kind of the end of his relationship with stevie nicks because that had kind of broken down and they were on again off again but this was kind of his way of saying um you know you're 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 free to go like it's over and i guess they're kind of 
coming to terms with it. So, uh, really, it's it's not a long episode, 15, 20 minutes, so I really recommend checking that out because it gives a lot of insight into it. And, of course, most of these songs are very much about relationships and um, different challenges and uh, very relational lyrics. All of it, Almost all of them are about something like yeah. that, something kind of dramatic. Um, while we're giving podcast shout-outs, uh, the Great Albums podcast um, does a review of Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, and in there they okay. talk about the the song um, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. Sure. It was uh, Bill Clinton's campaign trail song. And, and that they have a hard, uh, yeah. they have a hard time ever uh, <laughs> enjoying that song because they could just remember like these, you know, <laughs> convention halls filled yeah. with old white guys sort sure. of dancing along awkwardly too. Yes. Oh, that's uh, that's one surefire way to ruin to, the song. To, just to become attach it to a political campaign. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're very political today. <laughs> um, I do think that it's. Fortunately, you mentioned Dreams and The Chain. Those are definitely two of my favorite uh, tracks mm. on this album. My guess would be just knowing my mom that those are probably her least favorite tracks. <laughs> but I think that they are incredibly dynamic. Yeah. I think they show a wide vocal range, but I think they also show a wide emotive range. I think that mm. it's fascinating that you talked about the connection between the chain and a cinematic plot because i do feel yeah. like listening to the album listening to just the chain feels like listening to an album it feels like a whole cinematic plot yeah it has a lot of depth it feels very grandiose and yet understated it conveys a lot of emotion but it also shows a little bit of ambiguity yeah the whole album has a tension between a lot of different emotions I think that can speak to its popularity. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people find that they can take what they want from the album. Yeah. And Shane is one of those songs that just has a lot for everyone. Good choice to lead off side two. Uh, in the same way that you need a soft song to oh, yeah. finish out side one. Mm-hmm. Something really to draw you back in there on the, the second right. side. Huh. That's right. Again, those high contrasts. Yeah, and something we don't necessarily pick up pick up on when we listen through on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um We've lost that that uh, that artistic aspect of putting together vinyl, right? It's uh, it's a it's, it's a skill a vinyl set, morning, right? Morning session. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. But you know, I, Joe Biden's going to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> you have something to put your kids that's to bed right. with. That's right. That's right. But uh, we should point out that four of these songs were released as singles. Oh, Go okay, your yeah. own way, dreams, don't stop, and you make love and fun were all uh, put out as attempts to get radio hits going i guess it must have worked if you can sell 40 million copies um it's not like uh thriller in that like eight songs were were um singles uh it's also not like a few of the albums on this list that have zero singles Mm. (laughs) um it's a good good amount uh considering that there's only 11 tracks to have four singles there could be probably at least two more three more i would say probably yeah I, I think the chain, secondhand news, gold dust woman. I think those could all be singles. It's surprising to me that secondhand news was not. I mean, that's the one that yeah. I think has the hook that I would expect sure. to hear on oh. on uh, yeah. radio. It, so many of these albums would feel delightful on their own, but still somehow 
fit together. I think the comparison to a best of album that somehow cohesive yeah, yeah. was a good one. Yeah. This is a best of album that is its yeah. own cohesive Standalone. story. Yeah, yes. right. Yeah. For sure. I had no idea until researching that this was Fleetwood Mac's eleventh album right. and really brought to the forefront of my mind that I guess I just don't know this band very well yeah, right? <laughs> um, yeah. and have a lot more to, uh, to kind of listen to and research about them. Okay. So I'm looking at pictures as I'm researching <laughs> of John McVie and I can't help but think about Harry Shearer's character, Derek Smalls in Spinal Tap and <laughs> put two pictures side by side. I don't know. <laughs> they look pretty close. Well, so when was Spinal Tap released? Mid-80s? Uh, 82. Oh. Um, and I mean, funny thing is, because I looked it up, is that he, it doesn't say he might have based it on somebody who's mentioned in some... Um, Jethro Tull albums, uh, okay. but he does play a bass player, and John McVie was the bass player, so you almost <laughs> wonder if he kind of based it on him. Uh, that's really funny. Huh. Such a generic late 70s, early yeah. 80s look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any other, Sophia, you have some comments just in general? Do you think that there's a connection between the diversity of sounds that you hear on the album and it's widespread popularity. Mm. It's a little bit of stuff for everyone. Something for everyone. It's a buffet right. album. It's a buffet album. <laughs> That's right. I like, I like that. That's good. Did you, did you just make that up now? Yeah. The buffet. Yeah. The buffet album. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you need to, you need to, uh, you need to copyright that. Put it That's on good. a t-shirt. <laughs> so I think, I think we've come to the point where we asked the question, is this album still relevant? Uh, Sophia, you go first. I would say resounding yes. I do. Th and and can, can I connect these two questions together? Or yes, you can. Separately? Yes, okay. you can. No, they, we find that there's a lot of overlap. Sure. I do yeah. feel like this album is still relevant. I think that, but I'm going to have to qualify that a little bit. <laughs> I sure. think that the album's absolutely relevant in that some of the songs feel like they could be heard right now, not only as something that could be heard on the radio right now, but something that people who are making music right now can aspire to. Mm. I think that you could mm -hmm. definitely hear a very indie sound quality to a lot of these pieces in, in a very good way. I think that, you know, someone like Noah and the Whale or the Mountain Goats or... Fleet Foxes could all aspire to having these powerful sounds that we get off of secondhand news and dreams. I think that those are definitely, if they were released now, would still be very popular. I think that other songs do feel a little dated, but still relevant. Mm. I think that they definitely crafted an, uh, a soundscape for the late 70s. Things like Go mm. Your Own Way and Don't Stop, I think wouldn't be successful as pop songs now, but as for pop songs then it takes you to a certain place yeah. in time one that i had never lived through but i imagine <laughs> that that's what it sounded like that's the we image only that's trapped in my head yeah and yeah. but as you said there are some songs that are just timeless they have become iconic mm -hmm. songs like the chain i think would be a really good example of something that 
in any point in time, one would be able to recognize not as just a time or place or a fashion, but as Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. as an iconic moment in music. Done. Yeah, we're done. I don't know what else to <laughs> add to that. I, I agree. I think, Sophie, earlier you said um, that it's hard to p- place your finger on what genre this is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hardest part I have to know whether it still is relevant because it, I mean, okay, so it is such a buffet album. There's something for everyone. I think that there are tracks here that some people will find tired or or frustrating and you know i i apparently have a problem with songbird um <laughs> songbird that, uh, my nemesis right right so so i think it's it's absolutely relevant for me my hunch is that it's going to be there's going to be a track on this album that's relevant for just about anyone hmm. the whole album may be harder uh for for every person to say that it's relevant um <laughs> And I think I feel the same way about the the does it sound dated. I think there are, are aspects of the song the aspects of the songs here that just sound really uh, timeless, and aspects that sound uh, firmly in the seventies. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I think there's actually, uh, in addition to the bands that you mentioned, um, there are lots of other bands trying to recapture that California seventies rock sound. Sure. Uh, I think about Dawes in particular, maybe mm-hmm. one of my favorite bands that that really is trying to um, put as many harmonies into every song that they can Absolutely. trying to have a hook, but also have a, a sort of more darker side to some of their songs. Right. And were the Decemberists, the Decemberists, another great example. Yeah. They sometimes think they're pirates, so I don't know how that fits <laughs> in with, <laughs> uh, but yeah, absolutely. So I think um, it probably sounds dated, but it's a, dated sound that people are still striving for today. Does that make any sense? It has resonances. Yeah, it has some resonance. Yeah, I like that. Anything you want to add, Mike? I can't. You've you've (laughs) said everything I wanted. I totally agree. Uh, I don't think you can argue that music isn't relevant when you hear it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you hear these songs everywhere, every, you know, yeah. whether it's classic rock or kind of a movie that just came out in the last several years. Sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, in, in some ways, I almost wish I didn't. Mm. I feel like sometimes because it's such a beautiful album to listen to, to have it in the background of a convenience store, I feel like sometimes <laughs> it turns it into a generic pop song. Yeah. Right. Some of the the beauty of it can get lost when hmm. it turns into elevator music a little bit. Yeah. So I think when we sit down and listen to it, we can hear something even more hmm. powerful yeah. than when it's playing over the background. Well, it makes it a little less special when you hear it all the time, yeah. but it does show how it's permeated kind of every part of yeah. our society. And it makes it familiar. Yeah. Like you said, it's yes. a comforting yeah. musical yeah. sound. Yeah. So the, the question that we ask, you know, at the end of, of each review uh, on this list, this is number 26. Was this sound logic for them to put it at number 26? Uh, let's start with our guest, Sophia. What do you think? Well, I think that if, if not 26, maybe even higher, you said it was sold to the eighth, like eighth most popular album of all time. I'm surprised it went yeah. so far back as 26. Yeah. But I do think mm-hmm. that as far as being in the top 50 and the top 30, I think that that aspect of it is well-deserved. Mm-hmm. I think that it's an 
really a testament. It's a beautiful example of how to craft a song effectively. It has extraordinary balance, beautifully composed, the individual instrumental and vocal skill, as well as how they interact, is timeless, very skillful. Um, I think something that a lot of us could can aspire to. Mm. And the fact that each song on its own has enough musical depth to mm-hmm. be its own album, and yet the pieces work <laughs> so beautifully together, it makes it uh, timeless. And I hesitate to sound cliche, but <laughs> a masterpiece of sound. Number one. Is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> that's hard, but, but definitely up there, maybe yeah. even top 10. What do you think, Ben? I, I think what we're seeing here is some of the bias of this, the way this list is constructed. Sure. I think because it focuses so much on uh, rock, an album like this that is a bit more poppy gets bumped down. Mm. That's my hunch, at least. I think that's why Michael Jackson's Thriller was not in the top 10. Sure. I think that's why this is all the way down at 26. Um, and <laughs> and I'm really realizing some of my own bias. I want to put those albums all at the top. I think mm-hmm. I want my music to be a little bit more radio friendly and a little bit more poppy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this album is getting into my top 10. I'm, I feel like I, that's a broken record. I feel like I'm saying that for a lot of the albums in this 21 to 30 well, it's not stretch so here. Bad if it's just a superficial scratch, it's that's actually true. okay. <laughs> that's true. Good point. Oh, I like that. Man, wow. Full circle. <laughs> wow. Well done. Um, so really? yeah, I think there, whoa, <laughs> too far. Um, there's some, some great stuff here that I think makes it, it should be higher in my mind. Uh, but this is the Rolling Stone list and not the Ben Weidman list. So um, I think it's, I think there's a reason that it's here and that it's not rocky enough. Hmm. Um, it's just a little bit too close to that adult contemporary category mm-hmm. for it to be in the top 10 for sure. Rolling Stone, uh, even though it will probably make mine. Absolutely. Mike, what about you? I agree that it should be higher, but I don't agree that it's too poppy. There are pop elements, but there are so many rock elements, guitar solos mm-hmm. and heavy drum beats and all those other things. Um, I think you're onto something that it does lean towards that. And maybe that's why it didn't land. High. And, you know, we were learning more about the, the method by which they very uh, kind of numerically selected you know, there was a voting and ranking and different numerical values. And, hmm. uh, you know, so it's, it's very interesting. I mean, this, this, this is a diff 500 albums. That's a difficult task. 500 sure. albums from, from, uh, a, a totally open pool. Like there yeah. was no, there were no limitations, right? Like the, the P the 200 plus people who got to vote could vote on any album they wanted. The only thing was that had to show up on five different lists. So you had to have five different people select it. And then if it was high enough um, in terms of where they ranked it, then uh, it got on the list. So I, I think it should be in the top 20. And I think because of its influence, the success, uh, I can think, you know, if this is 26, I can think of at least six albums we've listened to so far that this is better than. <laughs> uh, sure. At least so, one higher. Absolutely. At least at least one higher. That's another T-shirt <laughs> design that's coming. At least one higher. Sophia, we're referring very specifically to 
uh, Bob Dylan's Highway 61 revisited when we say at least one higher. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens to be number four on this list, and we didn't. Yeah, think it was. <laughs> we didn't agree. Yeah. But then again, I guess it gets to the difficulty of ranking music. Absolutely. And oh if yeah. We were yeah. to say something that this album taught us. It's that discordant things work together, Amen. and maybe we can't just take things in isolation. Right. Not to disqualify your wonderful podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's that's kind of it. Um, one, I don't know if we'll include this segment. So we, Sophia, we started a new segment, which is, you know, what's your favorite uh, cover? And that we do that at the end, and then people can kind of explore that, and it yeah. opens up sure. to them. Um, I couldn't find anything either. The only one was that on that... Um, album you mentioned the legacy legacy a tribute to fleetwood max rumors was produced um and it contained songs from the original rumors album but performed by different artists who were influenced by the band uh and so it's a lot of like people you'd expect in the late 90s i think the goo goo dolls have a track and um uh, you know artists like that unfortunately the album's not on spotify so i can't i couldn't listen this week to what it sounded like, but Alas. I think that'd be fun. Someday I'll find legacy, a tribute to Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> uh, earlier this evening, my wife and I were looking, trying to look for a cover and the Cranberries do a pretty neat version of go your own oh. way on that, which is uh, a really, a really neat vocal performance by the late uh, Dolores O'Riordan. So uh, that's one I would recommend to check out. Um, go your own way performed by the Cranberries. Like the cranberries. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Cause it, it definitely sounds like you know she applied her very specific uh vocal style to it but then it gets they make it pretty rocky so uh, it's good it's a good one <laughs> can we think of something clever to send us off uh mike i wrote in joshua tree before we do the sign off is that actually true i just had that in my head and then realized i didn't actually check the list oh uh i think well, it's true i i think this is a theme. You always make me open up the document that has all 500 on them. Every, every ep- it has. I think it's happened every episode. We're almost done. It's like, okay, we're done. Oh, Mike, I have a question about, uh, do we have any more of these coming up? Or does this, out, does this artist have any more? <laughs> oh, let me open up this. Uh, yes, you're correct, Joshua. Okay. Well, since you, you have it out, uh, is Fleetwood Mac on here anymore? <laughs> oh, give me a second. <laughs> Uh, Fleetwood Mac album, which one, I don't know which one that is, because they have two self-titled albums. Oh, I would assume it's the one. Confusing. I oh. I think it's the one that came before this that has Rihanna, which I think is referred to as the White Album. So that's number one eighty-two, and then uh, oh, that's it. That's it. Okay, that's the only other one. Um, this is the Tan album. That's the White Album. <laughs> well, this one actually had a name. so you don't have to call it the tan you just call it rumors (laughs) but uh i believe their first album also was untitled from 1968 well i'm i'm not very creative sophia so i can't think of anything creative to uh sign us off with we we have typed out a sign off for everyone because that just (laughs) means we don't have to improvise but let's say well i before we do that i first want to say uh, Sophia, thank you so much for joining us. 
Yeah. Uh, this was an absolute pleasure to hear your memories and your insight and uh, just to learn a little bit about you through this. We made it you know, through, your... even though all three of us were born after 1977. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it was a delightful time. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, will you join us um, 160 albums down the road when we do another Fleetwood Mac album? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> if there's something in the meantime, let us know. We'd love to have you back. For sure. Thank you. Uh, well, should we do it all three of us? This would be fun. I think that's been another theme of this episode. We're having a lot of fun. Try something new. <laughs> all right. Okay. After three. One, two, three. Thank you Thank for listening. You for listening. Oh. Sound logic. <laughs> Why did it fall apart? Join us next time. The Sound Logic. Album number 27. On Rolling, Rolling Stones. Stones top 500, top 500 album list. The Joshua, Joshua Tree, tree by you too. Okay, and so you I as well. There's a little bit of a delay. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Uh, <laughs> Some experiments were summed up. <laughs> well, and we want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. And we hope you've had as much fun as we have had making this episode. Absolutely. And we hope you'll join us next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye for now. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.